Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Giant Mess. I am your host, Neil Lynch. I am a giant mess. I'm a Giants and Mets fan who loves movies, comedy, TV, and a whole lot more. Uh, On this episode, very special episode, it's the first episode in the new format. That's right, we're switching it up, y'all. No longer will we have two-hour, three-hour episodes. Who, no one, ain't nobody got time for that. So what we're going to do, we're going to record a couple times a week. We're going to try and condense it to 30 minutes to an hour. And with this episode, we're gonna, we're strictly talking Mets and Giants. That's it. No TV talk, no movie talk. You want TV talk? You want movie talk? You tune in for the next episode. When we talk about, hold up, a The Mandalorian, Watchmen, Tiffany Haddish, Black Mitzvah, The Report, Adam Driver, Hustlers with J-Lo. But this episode... On this episode, we're going to talk Mets. We're going to talk about how they adjusted the contract of Ioannis Cespedes following his uh, signing Michael Waka Waka Waka, Waka Flame, and Rick Porcello, a.k.a. Porkchop, which no one calls him that except me. Um, The latest trade talks surrounding Starlin Marte and Carlos Correa. And then we'll finish out the episode with some Giants talk. Their loss in overtime to the Eagles on Monday night. Their... I guess you could say blowout win against the Dolphins at home and what might be Eli Manning's uh, final home game in a Giants uniform. And also what needs to happen down the stretch for the Giants to land Ohio State edge rusher Chase Young in the 2020 NFL draft. Uh, So that's a long way to introduce a shorter episode. (laughs) But let's dive right on in. So we'll start with the Mets. Um... Uanus Cespedes, and I feel like this has been happening over the over the years. Is like the, the Mets have gotten really good at getting their money back on injured players. <laughs> they did it with David Wright, uh, who missed a ton of time, and they got some money back from him. And now they're getting money back uh, from Uanus Cespedes for missing all of 2019. Um, I think uh, from what I've read, he was he was due 29 million in 2019. And 29.5 million in uh, next year, and his two, two his 2019 pay was cut to around 14.8 mil. Which, hot damn, man! Can you imagine just like being physically incapable of doing your job and getting almost 15 million fucking dollars? Um, and I don't I don't know what he's gonna get in 20, but it's significantly lower than the uh, 29.5. So maybe they cut that in half too. I don't know. What will they do with that extra money? You know, a lot of people thought, oh well. Now that we got Steve Cohen on board, the billionaire genius philanthropist playboy, and now that we got some money back on Yo, you know, are we gonna now become spenders, go out there and, and make a splash? And yeah, spoiler alert, no, no, we're not. <laughs> You know, the biggest moves that we've made so far, we signed Michael Waka, former Cardinal pitcher. Big dude. I think he's like 6'5", 230 or something like that. Um, He is going to turn 29 in July. Uh, We signed him to a one-year, $3 million contract that was laden. One of my favorite words, laden with performance bonuses, almost $8 million in possible performance bonuses. I guess $7 million under some kind of points system like Jenny Craig, which is great. And then another uh, million for relief appearances, which is a very interesting caveat. Makes me think that, okay, um, 
he's not going to be in the rotation, even though he said, I signed to be in the rotation. I signed to be the number five, which that's, <laughs> it's like, well, there's only five starters, Michael. So, uh, not a, it's like the, it's like the world's tallest little person. Like that's the, the most confidence for like the least talented starter. <laughs> but, uh, so we sign him. He's an all-star in 2015. He had down season last year, six and seven with the ERA near five. He gave up a career high, 26 home runs, had a whip of almost 1.6. Uh, his average over his career is around 13 and eight uh, win-loss record with uh, an ERA less than four. And it looks like he has the capability to give you around 30 starts and almost 200 innings, but very rare. He has like seven seasons under his belt, and I think three or four, he's kind of gone the distance. The other three or four, it's... No, he gives you about half that. So I think that's the, you know, it's the roll of the dice. It's the risk that they take, the Mets. They're basically saying, hey, we want you to give us, you know, close to 30, 25 to 30 starts. And uh, and if you don't, then uh, we'll relegate you to the bullpen, I guess. And, uh, you know, knowing that Waka is such a wild card, they went out and uh, signed Rick Porcello former Cy Young winner in 2016 to a one-year deal, $10 million. So if I had to guess, I would say a couple options, a couple routes the Mets could take. One is they send Mats to the bullpen, and they have a starting rotation of DeGrom, Syndergaard, Stroman, Porcello, Waka. Now, if they keep Mats in the rotation, I think – you got to go Porcello over Waka, but I, I don't know. But, you know, plenty of depth in the rotation now. I think that's uh, that was something that kind of hurt the Mets last season. You know, I think Mats was out for a period of time. Um, Syndergaard missed a few starts, I think. So, you know, they just didn't want to have that happen where it's like we're scrambling for arms and starters and we're bringing, calling guys up from AAA, AA to come in and, and give us a game. And that's, you know, it's a loss here, loss there. This way, it's like, well, if Porcello Waka go down, you potentially could have Mats come back into the rotation. I would rather you see you go out with Lugo or Gesellman and, uh, you know, Lugo and Gesellman have said that they they want to start. So the rotation looks like it's complete. I mean, I'm not crazy about it. I think it's not a. It's I guess you could say it's slightly better, just because I don't know that Matts was all that consistent. But then again, is Waka consistent? Not really. So it sucks that we lost Wheeler. I just, you know, uh, and uh, you, you hope that he doesn't come out and just and become like a Cy, you know, he's going head-to-head with DeGrom for the Cy Young next year because it just seems like he's hitting that next level. And we've seen that there's a there seems to be a kind of change in the tides. The tides are changing, and the Mets are willing to spend now, and it's a little, a little too late. Too little, too late. Um, Porcello, in his Cy Young year in 2016, 22 wins only against only four losses. He led the league uh, in wins that year. Did he? Yeah. 
And he also led the league in uh, strikeout to walk ratio, 5.91 strikeouts to walks, where, you know, over the course of his career, he's been averaging around three, 3.8 maybe. Um, then he follows up the Cy Young year by leading the American League in losses with 17 and giving up 236 hits and <laughs> 38 homers. So that's the old Cy Young hangover, I guess, that DeGrom didn't have. So, um, but then he followed it up with a he bounced back in 2018 when the when the Sox went to the series 17 and seven, but led the league and hit hit batsmen, which you know I'm not crazy about. But it's also like I'd like to get back to beaning guys. Let's just start beaning guys. You know, I you know a lot of pitching coaches will say that's how you own the inner half of the plate. You know. Tell you get guys to, to get a little shy in the box, back off a little bit. You know, they can't really hone in and focus because they're worried about getting one in the ribs or in the rest or the, the eye bone. Um, so I'm not – that's more encouraging than discouraging. That's statistics. Um, if you're hitting guys with curveballs and, like, sliders and shit like that, like, change-ups a little – but if you're if you're going out there and you're like I'm gonna come dangerously close, you know I'm gonna buzz the tower, and if I hit a guy, I hit a guy. All right, fine, I'm I'm down with that. Last year, Porcello had a career high ERA of almost six, five and a half. So, oof. you know, they're they're signing these guys with the thought that they've shown flashes of greatness in the past, and you know they've kind of these pitchers they alternate, they go. Good year, bad year, good year, bad year. They both had bad years last year, so the Mets are, are doubling down on the fact that they're going to come back and have good years in, in 2020. So I don't I don't hate the moves. You know, they're names I know. <laughs> um, I'm familiar with their work. Um, you know, Waka's 2020 projections, 8-6 and six with a 4.36 ERA and 128 innings pitch. So not a ton of innings, but it's a winning record. Porcello's projections for 2020, 12 and 10, with an ERA of around 5, 160 plus innings pitch. Again, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting all moist in my drawers over it, but uh, again, winning records is all I care about at this point. <laughs> I don't care how it's done. Guess winning records. Um, so I, <laughs> sure, why not? You know, and maybe Matt's you know, is the answer for our bullpen. You know, although the the whole relief appearances bonus for Waka makes me think that Porcello, Mats will stay as the five, Porcello is the four, or vice versa, and then you have Waka in the bullpen. Either way, it's just nice to have, they've kind of indirectly addressed the bullpen <laughs> with either Waka or Mats. One of those guys is, is, is out of the rotation and they're going to have to go to the bullpen and hopefully they can give us, they'll be like, you know, maybe they can be the guy that can give us the, the long relief efforts. You know, when Syndergaard goes five, Mats can give us two. Waka can give us two. So that's, you know, rose-colored glasses version of, of how all that went down. I mean, I don't think anyone's super excited about it especially now that the trade talks around Marte and Correa have simmered down now. Looks like Starling Marte, not going to happen because we now have this Marisnik character from Houston who's apparently is going to platoon with Nimmo in center. 
So then you have, I guess, against righties, you have Nimmo, and against lefties, you have Marisnik. Well, I hope I'm saying his last name right. Um, and then, I don't know, I guess Davis, it's just a lot of shuffling of the lineup, which I guess is good from a certain, you know, variety is the spice of life. And I guess that's good because opposing teams can't really hammer us down and say like, well, they have a one through nine that's consistent from day to day when we know how to address it. This is like, you know, there's two ways to see it. One is I prefer a one through nine consistent lineup guy so you can get in a flow and get some consistency. Of course, you know, the Mets did have success back in the day with Mookie and Lenny uh, in center platooning. So it, it can be done. With, it's been successful for, for Mets teams in the past. Well, we'll see how it goes because, you know, Lagaris was a liability this year, trying to platoon with him, and he had so many starts and just didn't do anything offensively. And I, you know, hate to think that Marisnik is just going to do the same, but uh, there's a lot of positivity around him, thinking that he's gonna he's gonna break out offensively. So, um, I'll finish up the Mets portion of the of the podcast by with this tweet. From Michael Mayer, I believe, of Mesmerized Online. I could be wrong about that. He said, to give you an idea of how bizarre the 2019 season was for Edwin Diaz. Speaking of the bullpen, here's the list of pitchers in Major League Baseball history with a season of at least a 5 ERA, where they compile an ERA of 5 at least, but also 15 strikeouts per 9 innings and 50 innings pitched. And here's here's the list. Edwin Diaz, 2019. <laughs> That's the list. So my man can strike guys out. It's just he, you know, I think there was like a heat graph I saw of like his slider location when he was lights out in 2018 with the Mariners and then his heat map of his slider in 2019. And it's like... I don't know if I'm I'm just I need to get like a certificate online certificate and heat map reading it didn't look a whole lot different but I will say the 2019 one it looked like the sliders were coming right down Broadway seems like there was a higher concentration of the red right in the middle zone there you know how they have like the nine boxes or whatever um he was like the middle box was super red um Whereas 2018, it was kind of, I think it was like the bottom right box or whatever. So it's a game of inches. Football's a game of inches, and I guess baseball's a game of, of even, of, you know, millimeters. Um, and also, I, I saw the tweet from uh, Pete Alonzo saying, see, the balls weren't juiced, because I guess the Major League Baseball uh, took a look into the balls and determined that the balls were not juiced but that the seams were off which seems pretty consistent with what Syndergaard was saying and uh you know a lot of the other pitchers were saying they couldn't get the good grip that they used that they're used to and I believe that probably affected Edwin Diaz that he, his his seams were all kinds of messed up and so he couldn't get the same kind of cut on his slider same kind of control on his slider than he did the year before so who knows you know, and, and uh, my God, just close your eyes and take a deep breath and release and picture yourself in the stands at City Field and watching Edwin Diaz 
shut her down every bottom of the ninth for 50 plus times because I feel it's feels like that was an anomaly last year and that you know with an off season under his belt and a renewed sense of purpose you know it's a new year new you and I think that new manager Beltron new pitching coach but you know familiar faces as well I just think he has a bounce back year I really do he's not over the hill He's still a young guy. He's, you know, obviously he's still got the potential to strike out a lot of dudes. Um, and he showed, you know, it was it was not frequent, but he did show that he could come in and just and blow top elite hitters away. So, and that was the difference last year, him not being able to lock it down. And if he can let, do it this year, we can, I mean, you know, people call me crazy for saying this. We could be a 100-win team. I really do think that. Even though the Braves are strong, uh, you know, the Phillies just signed D.D. Gregorius, so they're a little bit stronger now with Wheeler as well, with Girardi. The Nationals, they get Strasburg back. They lose Rendon, though. So who knows? They they could have, like, a, a World Series hangover, I think. So I think they still play well, but I don't think that they make the playoffs again. Um, I mean, that that's a case, in my opinion. The Nats are a case of, like, they just got hot at the right time. So, Braves and Phillies. And the Phillies might not be able to get out of their own way. But who knows with Girardi at the helm, I think, you know. But Braves and Phillies are the two teams that are going to stand in our way. And um, we'll see. I, I'd still like to get... Just like one more arm, one more bat. There's just like they feel like they're still missing one or two key ingredients. But then again, maybe it's already on the roster. You know, maybe Jed Lowry comes back from the dead. You know, insert Undertaker Jeff, and he's like, you know, the the utility guy that's just all over the place making plays and coming up with clutch hits. Um, and you know, the guys that were that didn't step up last year, maybe that's they come back and they have a bounce back year. So uh, I don't know. I still I, I still think the Braves are the, the class of the division, even though they shit the bed in the playoffs. Um, and the Phillies, you know, the Phillies always have... The Phillies are going to be a threat until they're not. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Like, they will get hot and and be on top of the world, and then they just collapse for no reason. So, but maybe the Phillies haven't done enough. It's like are Girardi and Wheeler and Gregorius enough? Maybe not. All right. So that's Mets talk. Let's uh, dive into the Giants. I didn't get to recap the Eagles game last week. Um, this full time job is kicking my ass big time and uh i'm i'm probably burnt out already I'm, i've been on the job like less than a month and i'm burnt out but um so we're gonna recap the eagles monday night game that loss that horrific loss and then the, the blowout win against the dolphins um i want to say that the you know I think anyone who's not a Giants fan would say, wow, you're up 17-3 and you lost in overtime when you had that game in the bag and then you let it get away against like pretty much backups, reserves, whatnot, like inexcusable, fire everyone. But it's like, that's just, 
That's just the way it has gone against the Eagles for a very long time now. Where, you know, and it's funny to watch on, on Twitter. It's so funny to watch the reactions on Twitter. And, you know, I've tempered myself now because I know doesn't matter how much we get up. I've seen us go up 19-3 and lose 22-19, you know? I've just seen the wheels come off and get derailed down the stretch because we just cannot... Um, either we're not making halftime adjustments or we are not responding to the halftime adjustments that the other team is making. And, I, and that's got to be on the coaching staff. It has to be. Um, and it was just so funny watching, like, everyone... Like, you know, it's Eli Manning's first start since week two. Could be one of his final games ever. Um, he has a very bad history against the Eagles. So, you know, automatically I'm going to this thinking, man, he hasn't started in so many games. And watch him come out and, like, be, like, on top of the world and just be, like, looking like old Eli, strong arm, rested, whatever. And we got a little bit of both. You know, first half, the first series or so, first quarter, I want to say, he did look very rusty. He's throwing behind guys. He's throwing too high. Throwing, he was very inaccurate. Um, and we went back to the old three and out. I feel like we didn't get a, a ton of three and outs with Daniel Jones. He like just finds a way to scramble on third down and pick up first downs. Back to Eli now, it's like mm, a lot more three and outs. So, and then he, he hits the one... Uh, slant to Slayton who takes it to the house and he hits in a long bomb to Slayton on the left sideline who takes it to the house and you're thinking and I'm thinking man outside of those two throws what, what are the Giants and what does this game look like and yeah I saw a lot of tweets and a lot of people saying well the defense Giants defense looks good in the first half and it's like they should they had the Giants defense outside of maybe one or two guys, Peppers and Connolly, uh, their starters are all there, and they're all fully rested. They're all ready to go. No one's, like, banged up or injured or anything. So I would expect the Giants' defense to shut down an Eagles offense that is hobbled. I mean, Alshon Jeff Jeffrey left the game. I don't even think Nelson Aguilar suited up. Um, they were down to, like, one healthy receiver. Uh, Miles, Sander le Miles Sanders left the game. I think Jay Ajayi was a non-factor. And, and all of a sudden, it's like their third, fourth-string running back is tearing us up. Zach Ertz, I don't know how. In, going to the game, you have to know Zach Ertz is their main weapon, primary target who's going to tear you up. And they still even after all the other viable receiving threats went down or left the game, could not cover Zachary Ertz. Just mind-blowing. And I knew um, as soon as the game was like... Seventeen ten, something like that, 17-14, whatever it was. I think it was 17-10. I just knew they were, they're going to lose this game. I mean, the offense did nothing in the second half you know as great as Eli was in the first half um great I mean he had two big plays a couple of okay throws mixed in second half he didn't do shit the offense didn't do anything in the second half um so I you know I I I 
could have put I should have put money down on them losing in overtime because that was just a guarantee, especially after the, you know, um, the broadcast team, the uh, was it ESPN jinxed the shit out of the team by throwing up that graphic like the Giants are like eight of nine in overtime. Like, oh, OK, here comes a big L right in the face. <sighs> um, here's a crazy stat that I saw. I guess the night of the game, maybe following the game, Carson Wentz's contract, he has a $30 million option bonus due March 27th. If the Eagles decline, it converts into a guaranteed 2020 salary, meaning Philly would hold a $42.65 million cap figure for Wentz, but the remainder of his contract would void, and that void would come with a $19.8 million uh, dead cap in 2021. So, whew, man, what a contract. <laughs> you gotta, I guess you gotta hope that that's your guy, huh? I mean, what do you, if you're Philly and I, you know, never talk about, you know, what do you know, Neil, your Giants fan, I'll talk about the Eagles and what they're doing. Dude, though, I mean, come on, the Eagles don't win the division and go to the, which it, I don't know if it's looking that way now. Cause I think Dallas just, destroyed the Rams um, and meanwhile the Eagles like barely scraped by the Redskins so if I had to guess it's that the Cowboys win the division go to the playoffs and then it's like man that's a tough spot for Philly because it's like I watched the game and Wentz makes good throws here and there and they just they just drop them and they don't have receivers so it's like is it on Wentz or is it on the receivers Anyway, getting back to the Giants. Leonard Williams uh, says that the Giants don't offer him top-tier money. He'll hit free agency. (laughs) He leads all interior defensive linemen and quarterback hits, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. This was before the Dolphins game. And it's, you know, here it's like, you know, Olivier Vernon 2.0. Olivier Vernon without the sacks. I mean, at least Olivier Ov like eventually would come up with sacks, and he would he would maybe average like eight or ten a season. And you're like, all right, I guess he's getting a sack here or there. Um, Leonard Williams is just not getting sacks, pressures, hits, great or hurries, whatever you want to call it. Um, I just can't see paying like Aaron Donald esque money to this guy. And if the and if he doesn't sign with the Giants, it's like well. I mean, it's already looking like a shit trade, but I mean, I was of the mindset, and I've said it before, where I thought, really did think a Gettleman would be safe, and I don't know that he's going to be safe anymore. That Leonard Williams fuck up was is is bigger than people are giving it paying attention to. But then again, he has he has something like Darius Slayton, uh, you know. That he can fall back on. Slayton is the first rookie to have multiple 100-plus receiving yards and uh, two-plus receiving touchdown games in a single season since 2014. First Giants player with 150-plus receiving yards in a first half since October 20, 2005 when, when Plax did it. Uh, had 179 from uh, then, I guess, you know, sophomore Eli Manning. Yeah. Eli, 11-19, 179 in the first half, 4 of 11 for 24 yards in the second. Barf. What happened? You're telling me Philly made the adjustments 
at half and came out and knew how to handle Eli and the and the and Tate and Slayton and all that jazz, and we just didn't. <sighs> so stupid. And it came down to the defense too. I mean, I, I, that offense, that Eagles offense, was so debilitated. They lost the right tackle, the running back, the receivers. I mean, they were just like a you know a mash unit, and the, and we couldn't stop them in the fourth quarter. And I tweeted that DeAndre Baker is is basically a bust, and of course he posts like you know an eighty seven point six overall grade, and. Uh, had three pass breakups on five targets, allowed just one catch for seven yards. But did you see the tackle attempt that he had on a, on a, on what would, could have been a stop? You know, he just he he completely whiffed and olayed, and it just you know it's a bad look. And he does this thing, you know, I don't know. He just rubs me the wrong way. Breaks up a pass and he does that stupid like jet thing that he does with his arms extended. And I'm just like, guy. Do that. Do the pass defending more often, and then eventually come up with your celebration when you're like lauded as one of the top players in the league, not when you're considered a bust. Bethea has been a, a, a stud stopping the run, awesome, and he has the fourth highest grade, uh, fourth highest grade defending the run for a safety. Yeah, great. Led the lead, led the team in tackles with eleven, big plays near the goal line, but in coverage still a liability. Giants had 14 missed tackles against the Eagles. Ogletree had three missed tackles. He also gave up eight completions on eight attempts and was the lowest-rated defensive player. He's got to be gone. I mean, that's that's pretty obvious. I think he—and you can kind of see it in his body language, too, the way that he plays. Just, like, he, he just knows, like, his days are numbered. Eagles had 415 total yards of offense and was the most they've had since week one. <laughs> so stupid. And people are talking about, um, you know, Pat Shermer should be fired for that flea flicker, flea flicker call, which when I watched it happen, I was like, it, I had disaster written all over it. It just didn't look right from the get-go. So it was more of an execution thing than it was the actual play call. Because it's like they were his third and forever. You're going to run another fucking draw that goes nowhere. You're going to run another short pass that goes nowhere. You're already out of the playoffs. Might as well take a shot. So I, after, you know, I, I saw it and I was like, it, I think it's because of the way it was handled. Like it just looked awkward. It didn't look like it was run very well. And of course, Soldier gets beat. And people are, you know, tearing into Shermer saying that's the reason he should be fired. I was like, no, no, no. He should have been fired last week after he did, like, a third and ten, like, jet sweep to a guy they just signed who didn't even take one snap all year. It's like, that's ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, and then it comes out. Like, you see the replay. And if and if Solder blocks his guy, Manning has, I think, Golden Tate or someone down the seam wide open for a touchdown. So, <sighs> Ogletree has allowed 43 completions on 48 targets and four touchdowns in coverage this year. I mean, it's awful. That is just awful. I mean, that's enough for me, at least, 
to say we need to move on and admit that was a failure and and take our losses and just try and and you know i mean obviously you get Connolly back hopefully next year and then you just gotta uh, you gotta draft a stud another stud inside linebacker make a signing something and i've been all over solder and i was all over solder on monday night and then this came out the Giants revealed an announcement uh, in their announcement that Nate Solder was the Walter Payton Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. That his four-year-old son Hudson underwent surgery to have a tumor tumor removed during bye week, and he is uh, currently undergoing the third round of chemo. So, you wonder why a guy is playing the way he is? That's a, probably a pretty good reason why Solder is not playing up to to snuff. I, I can't imagine trying to play with your kid going through that. So, uh, you know. Some you know, Rico Bosco Barstool says some things are better, bigger than sports. Yeah, this is it's bigger than sports. I don't even know how you go about handling that, but you know, uh, I I hope uh, things turn out all right for Hudson. You know, that's so sad, and um, you know, but I I still think Solder is a problem on the left side, and uh, if I'm the GM, if I'm Gettleman, if I'm Mara, I make a push to put Solder on the right side, and then you got to bring in someone as a like a, a absolute knock out of the park on the left side. And I would say even double down, draft and free agency. <laughs> Janoris Jenkins was waived. Um, of all the ways that Jenkins leaves the team, this is probably the worst. <laughs> I mean, we all knew that he wasn't going to finish out his contract with the Giants. I mean, I I knew he wasn't going to finish out his contract with the Giants. I knew that they were going to... um, The hope was that he was going to get traded and we get something in return, and we didn't get anything in return, which is just crazy. I mean, considering that this guy walked out of... I I believe it was him or maybe it was DRC, but like just walked out of practice in 2017. You know, it's like that right there. I was surprised that you know, with the uh, Gettleman coming on and with the culture change, you know, with Gettleman trading Eli Apple and Snacks and Vernon and OBJ, you would think that Janoris Jenkins would have been one of the first to go. And instead, he's one of the last. And it's and we wave him. We end up waving him <laughs> for a comment he made to a fan in which he called the fan a... Uh, quote-unquote retard and he said that's just part of my language uh growing up a cultural thing or whatever which you know growing up when i was eight or 12 or whatever you know yeah we called we called each other that whenever you would act dumb or stupid or whatever um to call a fan that is crazy to not then not apologize and say it's just part of my culture um and then the tweet after he got waived, best news ever. And it's just like, you know, it just, I don't understand what they saw in him. Did, did he really have that big of an impact on the other uh, guys in the secondary? And I think one of the guys did come out. I don't know if it was Sam Beal or Ballantyne or one of the guys said, yeah, he was a major help, but it's not worth the hassle at that price too. I I tweeted out, I don't have it here in my notes, but I did tweet it out that uh, he's the highest graded corner for the Giants 
but he's also the 55th best cornerback in the league. His contract is not 55th highest in, the, in for cornerbacks in the league. His contract is like, I want to say top 10, so he's not a top 10 corner. So um, his days were numbered, and he was going to go, but this is like the worst possible way for him to go. It's like we needed to get – I cannot believe – and, of course, now the Texans or the Chiefs are going to pick him up. Some playoff contender is going to pick him up, and maybe he'll, he'll you know – play for them like he did the first year with the Giants um, and make the Giants look stupid, but Jesus Christ, like, you couldn't get anything for him at the trade deadline? Anything. Just anything. It's better than what we have now, which is nothing, so. <sighs> then I saw this. <laughs> On Jordan Raynon's, Raynon, Raynon's podcast, uh, some of his contacts have said that Daniel Jones is going to be, quote-unquote, okay. They they don't see greatness. They don't see his talent level being special. I don't know what the fuck they're watching. I mean, if you watch the games, the guy is special. His ability to avoid the rush, he's making some very nice throws, very accurate throws in big-time situations, critical third downs. So to say he's not going to be great... I mean, do you remember what Eli Manning looked like in 2004? Dude did not look great. Dude looked okay, maybe. But, um, I would borderline say he looked poor. So I, I do think they need to shut him down for the rest of the year. I mean, why would you risk bringing him back off a of high? I mean, you saw what happened with Saquon. Saquon's a goddamn superhero. And he came back from a high ankle sprain too early, and he didn't look like himself in, until, like, right now. You know, he's able to make cuts now and make defenders look silly. So why would you do that to Daniel? What are you doing? This is the Eli Manning farewell tour now on, like, whether you like it or not. There is no reason for Daniel Jones to play. I don't think it contributes to development. He got a handful of games under his belt, something like, you know, 10, 11, 12 games in his rookie season, which is a lot, and I think he's learned a lot. Just let Eli ride it off in the sunset against the fucking Redskins and the Eagles. Why not? Just do it. I don't know why you would bring Daniel Jones back. Just say, shut her down. Say, you did a, a... I mean, if you were to... If I were to come to you and I'd say... We draft Daniel Jones. Before the draft, I say, hey, we draft Daniel Jones. And you're like, oh, my God. Because that was the initial reaction across the board from fans. It was like, oh, my God. And I say to you, okay, well, Eli Manning is going to get benched in after two weeks. And Daniel Jones is going to play. In 11 games. Whoa, Jesus. And he's going to start 10 games. And he's going to throw for about two, almost 2,400 yards, 18 touchdowns. Um, he's going to put up a rating of about 84, 61%, 62% completion percentage. Like, you would not take that? You wouldn't say that's really good for a, a rookie quarterback? And do you think that, like, it, even if he puts up those numbers consistently— on, on most teams, he wins those games, but he doesn't have a defense right now with the Giants. So if he puts up those numbers on a consistent basis, 
I'm completely fine with that. And I don't describe that as okay. I just don't. You know, I just, I, 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 and people are talking like the Giants should think about going the Arizona Cardinals route, you know, because the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen in uh, 18, and then they drafted, my, they admitted they made a mistake and drafted Kyler Murray in 2019. So Daniel Jones is Josh Rosen now? And Joe Burrow is Kyler Murray? What? I just don't. I, I think they're... Quarterback is not an issue. If he came out and it, the numbers were reversed and he threw 18 picks to 11 touchdowns, you know, the fumbling thing is is pretty brutal. But, like, if he's throwing a lot of picks, his completion percentage is around 50. Like, that's bad. And, yes, then you would probably need to seriously consider taking a quarterback in the, with your first pick. There's no reason to go after Joe Burrow now. There's just none. That would be, I mean, that's like the darkest timeline. I don't understand why you would do that. Jesus Christ. It's amazing how triggered I get by this shit. So let's talk about the Dolphins game. This was hard to get up for. I know it was just like, this is like, what? I don't want to watch this. We're down 10-7 at the half. The defense looked lifeless. I mean, Fitzmagic is just is turning on the charm. And and we have a guy named Patrick Laird, like, running the ball and making plays. And he's, like, their number one weapon. And the offense had nothing going on. But we turned on the second half and pulled away. Mostly because I think the Dolphins were just like, fuck this. Are you guys actually trying? We're not trying. <laughs> Um, we were th- we were forty five percent on third down, which is always nice to see. We averaged six point five yards per play. Uh, Eli's twenty to twenty eight, two hundred eighty three yards, two touchdowns, three picks, and the three picks were bad. Yeah, for sure. I unfollowed. I and I, you know, I got mad online, and I unfollowed a lot of people today. <laughs> Just talk like you're going to make a big deal out of fucking Eli Manning throwing another bad interception. Like what you you took the time to write an article about he how Eli threw a bad interception and the half. Okay, like you guys know he's going in the Hall of Fame. So like all this this last this game, the previous game, the season, the past two, three seasons, they're just they don't mean anything. They really don't. And I think if he stopped playing after the 2016 season, it was like, you know what? Gave it a shot. We made the playoffs, but I don't see us going any further. And he stopped playing after 2016. He would still make the Hall of Fame. These past three seasons have just been like, whatever. It's been the Giants refusing to move along, to move on, thinking that he still had something and sticking to him and, and sticking by him. And it's like, he probably should just stop. I mean, 2015 was was as good as it was it was gonna get for Eli. 2016 was like meh, and uh, if he stopped playing after that season, he's still a Hall of Famer. So Saquon, 24 carries, 112 yards, two touchdowns, almost averaged five yards a carry. Had 100 plus rushing yards for the first time in his last nine games. The eight game drought was the longest of his career. Buck Allen got some touches, eight carries, 28 yards on touch. Um, 
curious to know why he's just now getting into the mix. Feels like um, maybe mix it up a little bit more. I was just watching the Cowboys game, and it was like they do a pretty good, nice rotation with Ezekiel Elliott and uh, uh, Pollard, Tony Pollard, whatever his name is, Pollard, who looks really good. Um, they just have a really good one-two one punch. And while Saquon physically probably can withstand the workload, it'd just be nice to offload it a little bit and rotate it, give a, give a different look to the defense. Uh, Shep had nine catches, 111 yards, uh, but only one catch in the first half. Ooh. He had a, a, I mean, Eli put it right on his numbers on one of the first drives, I think, on a, like a third down, had Shep up the seam and hit him right in stride and Shep dropped it. So um, you can just tell like uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of intensity. They're just like, yeah, yeah, we suck, and I don't really care anymore. Golden Tate was pretty much MIA. He had only had four targets, and he had, of course, he's good. He's always good for one, like, big catch per game, usually for a touchdown. This one, it was a, you know, guy all over him, juggles the ball, catches it, and then for reasons, I don't, I mean, I can't even explain why he would do this, but instead of just running straight ahead for the touchdown, he decides to turn around and look at the guy as he backpedals in the end zone, almost doesn't make it. And I'm pretty sure he got concussed on that play, hitting his head backwards, going falling backwards into the turf. Darius Slayton, you know, three targets, nuts. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. I don't know. Guy needs more than three targets. Two catches, 31 yards, and, and the touchdown. But how he's only getting three targets, I don't know. Seems wrong. Saquon had five targets, four catches, 31 yards, which is, eh, it's better, I guess. I'd still like to see him have, like, that five catches, 50 yards. That's, like, a good round number. And maybe that needs to be, like, seven or eight targets. And I think that, I don't know where this was mentioned, but... Um, I saw in a video that was on Reddit, but it was like in the scripted portion of the games, Shermer is calling his number in the passing game. But then after the scripted version, script goes out the window and they kind of have to, you know, he kind of has to wing it or whatever. He just doesn't call Saquon's number in the passing game. Exhibit 1,054,000 why Shermer should be canned. Defense had three sacks, which is nice. Forced fumble, even though I don't think it was a fumble. Um, Sam Beal led the team in tackles with uh, 11. Eight solo. David Mayo had six uh, tackles. RJ McIntosh had a sack. Marcus Golden and uh, O'Shane Zimenez shared a sack. Golden is the first Giants linebacker with nine-plus sacks in a single season since Jesse Armstead in 1999. Holy shit. It's been 20 years. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Like, you, someone needs to frame that statistic and mail it to John Mara and be like, this is your problem. Dalvin Tomlinson had a sack. And uh, I don't know. I don't know that I felt good about this win. It just, it, it more looked like the, the Dolphins were like, yeah, we didn't, we're like, you guys have all your starters. You're paying a lot of money to, and you're you guys are trying, and we're like, we're none of us are starters. We're pretty much all undrafted. <laughs> we don't, you know, it's fun to kind of compete for a little bit, but we're like we're tired, and we're just gonna give up. 
So even though we beat the Dolphins, we we have the same and we have the same record as them. We still have the number two draft spot behind uh, behind Cincy. And uh, I guess the prognosticators, whatever, are saying that you know. Bengals would take Burrow with number one, and then we would take Chase Young at number two. And then, you know, why not throw this into the mix? During a week where I find out Nate Soldier's kid is going undergoing chemo and Janoris Jenkins gets waived, why not say, why not have news leak that Chase Young is not going to declare for the 2020 draft and he's going to stay at Ohio State? Why not? That'll be fun. Can you imagine if he stays? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I guess, you know, if he does stay, you trade down and then you draft that uh, that tackle from Alabama. Whatever the fuck his name is. Anderson? Andrews? Um, so I think it's based on strength of schedule. So even though head, I don't know why they don't do head-to-head, but instead they go by strength of schedule. And I guess the Giants' strength of schedule is worse than, the, than Miami's. So we currently have the number two spot. Um, I don't think... Uh, there's no way that we can get the one spot, I don't think. Pretty sure. We're at Washington on Sunday. Then we're home against the Eagles the following Sunday. I mean, I could see us easily going 0-2. I could see us going 1-1. I could see us going 2-0. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I don't know what this team... I mean, the Eagles... Did not look great against uh, Washington. Maybe Haskins, you know, is starting to come around and starting to play better. I know McLaurin looks pretty good. Their receiver, rookie receiver. Peterson has still got a step. Uh, who knows? But in terms of the other teams that we're competing with for a high draft pick, since he's got, they're going to Miami, and then they're home against the Browns. I don't even know. You know, I mean, they could go into Miami and lose. And they could lose at home against the Browns, although the Browns are just like, what is going on there? Holy shit. OBJ wants out. Miles Garrett had the suspension. And Joku was like a healthy scratch or something like that. Like, dear God. I had them in my as my defense in my fantasy league semifinal. And they gave me negative two points, and I'm probably going to lose. Thank you, Cleveland. Uh, the Dolphins are going to host the Bengals, and then they go to New England. And you would think, okay, so maybe that's a one-and-one, one, um, you know, uh, output. But I don't think the Patriots are in the, the habit of sitting guys. They pretty much start guys no matter, you know, how clinched things are because I think they want to, they just want reps and the, and the repetition and whatnot. So I would say at best one and one, the lions who are now three, 10 and one are at Denver and then home against the Packers. And given that this Blau character is like, not gonna like put on a cape and save the day I would think that they lose at Denver and then they lose at home against the Packers which means they would go 3-12-1 which is worse than like if we went out oh sorry if we go 1-1 one one, which is very possible if we beat the Redskins and then lose the, the Eagles go 4-12 and 12, 
They go 3-12-1. They get the second pick. Would they take Chase Young, though? Maybe. And then the Redskins, they host us, and then they're at Dallas. I think that could be 0-2 or 1-1. And And so uh, they could very much, they could very possibly go 3-13 and and get that number two spot. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's tough. It's tough, and but to, to pin our all our hopes on one draft pick is kind of I don't know. People are saying that Chase Young could be the next LT. Nah, I'll see it. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. Type of thing. Um. But uh, you know, it definitely would make the defense better, and who knows? Maybe that opens up. You know, with Golden already performing like above expectations. You know, should they resign him? I would say, yeah, if it doesn't get out of control and it doesn't take away your ability to go after positions, you know, yes, pass rush is definitely a position of need. But if you're going to draft Chase Young, probably okay to let Golden walk. It's not ideal, but like, you know, you still have a second. You still have a very young secondary. Now when Jenkins gone with Bethay, I don't know how. I don't think Bethay. Um, I gotta look up his contract, but I don't think that he's someone that you'd want to bring back because I mean he had a play today on the uh, on the touchdown to Parker. I think it was. It was just like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> like you got to cover the guy. You are our last bastion of hope. So yeah, he's an unrestricted free agent. I think I don't think they bring him back. Plus, I mean, you have Peppers and Love. I think that's a good combination. Um, I think Love can play free safety. I think uh, Peppers can play strong safety. You know, in the in the broadcast today, they were saying that they didn't know what position Julian Love could play. And it's like the guy looks like you know, okay, so you can't put him at corner, but he looks like he's a pretty good fit at safety. Um. So yeah, that's the that's the episode, abridged version, the under hour edition. I'm, I'm trying to get this down to thirty minutes, but I don't know. It seems really tough <laughs> talking about your passions, and you want me to and you want me to go short on my passions. Um, so I you know honestly, just let Eli play the last two games and let him ride on the sunset that and and have that last home game against Philly. Everyone show up and go nuts and do whatever you want. Pre-game, halftime, post-game, just make a big spectacle out of it. And, and I know they kind of did the classy thing today where they had them, you know, run off the field uh, to cheers. But, like, well, it felt a little – it was like, mm, might as well do it against the Eagles. Like, against the Dolphins, it doesn't feel as, uh, as cool. Just let them play. Who cares? Daniel Jones, I don't know that you really need to see more of him. You know what you need to work on with him. You know what he does well. You know he has trouble with his own, getting rid of the ball. Um, but, you know, to say that, he to, to give up on him after 10 starts, 10 pretty good starts in my mind. I mean, you know, the defense plays better in like a handful of those games. Those are wins. So, but I'm repeating myself. That's uh, That's today's episode. Of giant mess stay tuned if you're into tv and movies for another episode hopefully coming out in the next day or two um hit me up on facebook.com slash giant mess instagram 
uh, Twitter and YouTube, Real Cinch, R-E-A-L-C-I-N-C-H. Call the hotline, 862-BIT-1986, and we will we'll see you sooner rather than later, bro. I'll see you before you see me. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Later. <laughs>